Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks, and I'm joined by the Blitzen to my Rudolph. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin Peach. What connects the following people? Joey Barton, Dapon Chansiri, and Lawrence Fox. <laughs> well, we could enter some dangerous territory here, couldn't we? Um, firstly, they're all tossers. Massive, massive tossers. Um, but do they all like the Smiths? They don't all like the Smiths, mm. as far as I'm aware. I feel like two out of three maybe do. I'm not sure about Chancery. <laughs> the answer is they're all penises. Okay, I was on the right lines the first time. You were very right, actually. <laughs> you should have gone with your gut instincts, yeah, Justin. Um, do you want to know what day it is today? It's the it's Thursday. Yes, Thursday, the 14th of December. That's correct. And that is Gary Rowett, Gianfranco Zola Day, Justin. Oh, wow. Wow. What an anniversary to celebrate. The day the, the day the wheels came off at Birmingham City. They've only just been put back on again before being swiftly taken off once again. Yes, that narrative <laughs> would be a lot more fitting if Birmingham lost in midweek, but they actually did all right, which we'll talk about a bit later on. But happy Rarit Zola Day to all of those who celebrate it. Welcome to the number one championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yes, we've had another round of midweek games in the championship. So let's bloody talk about them. So we'll go through all the games from midweek, uh, talk about the latest on uh, what that means for the division. Uh, also talk about a couple of managerial bits and pieces. Uh, we had obviously Alex Neal sacked at the weekend moments after we finished recording, which was incredibly irritating. Uh, so we'll talk about uh, what's going to happen next at Stoke later on. Um, but first of all, we may as well kick things off, Justin, with the race for promotion. And there's been a big result in that regard. Sunderland won, Leeds United nil. Joe Bellingham getting the only goal of the game in the 78th minute. This was the first time Leeds United have named a starting 11 in which all 11 players were born after Tony Iboa's goal against Liverpool. Was that what a stat that is? Was that ninety? Was that ninety four or ninety five? You are asking a man who really should have looked at that and written it down <laughs> before anyone asked any more questions. I'm thinking ninety six. I think um, that may be a year or two off, but it's certainly around there. But based on this game, maybe they should stick with the ones born after that because. This was one of those flat performances from Leeds, wasn't it? Which we see every so often. The thing is, Justin, we thought the win against Blackburn was them playing poorly and still winning. And that was a corner turned. But this game showed that's 
clearly not the case. Yes, yes and no. It was a frustrating performance. But that being said, uh, that being said, Sunderland are a good side. They're going to take points off teams gunning for promotion this season. They were well drilled for Leeds, and like other results that have gone against Leeds, they put players behind the ball. Leeds found it difficult to break them down. I think the onus now is for Leeds and Daniel Farker to find a way to break those stubborn teams down who want to play behind the ball and essentially let you play in front um, in front of them. And yeah, they, they they found it difficult. And I think the disappointing thing is. They didn't really open Sunderland up enough and convincingly enough and consistently enough in that second half. But it was a good result for Sunderland, Sunderland and obviously for Leeds. It's another, I think, a missed opportunity where they where they dropped points. Not needlessly, but it's a game that could have easily ended up in a draw. Well, to think it could have been even worse had it not been for a ridiculous save by Elon Meslier <laughs> from a header. That was incredible. I mean, the gloss kind of gets taken off it when you end up losing anyway, but... If they managed to hold on, that would probably be save of the season, wouldn't it? Mm. Um, but with Leeds losing and both Leicester and Ipswich winning, it's a huge setback with their hopes of promotion. As we all know, Leicester and Ipswich have both started the season as well as anyone we've ever seen at this level. And it took a bit of time for Leeds to get going. Before the round of games on the 4th of October, Leeds were nine points behind Ipswich. Since then, Leeds have won nine from 12 games. And they're now 10 points behind Ipswich. <laughs> so despite being in unbelievable form over the last couple of months, it's still not been good enough. And people will say, well, you can't win every game. But this is the standard this season. And Leeds now have to try and better it. And they're going to have to go on some record-breaking runs to catch the top two, aren't they? Well, it's a record-breaking run and you're relying on Leicester and Ipswich slowing down, which is an, an uncomfortable position to be in. You're relying on other teams getting results against those uh, against those sides in the automatics, uh, both have been relentless. It's worth pointing out, and uh, like you said, it's been an incredible run of run of form. How long can it last? Who knows? Can it can, uh, continue? Who knows? All Leeds can do is uh, is, is sort themselves out. It's a cliche, and managers always say it. We'll just concentrate on ourselves. But when you've had some shaky starts, uh, well, no, some shaky games like Leeds have, and dropped points needlessly in games like Rotherham and Sheffield Wednesday, where they should be winning those games, um, you look at you look at those games and you think that well. That's that's what's that's what's cost us, um, and unfortunately now the the chances of hitting the automatics are are slim. But um, it's it's a long it's a long rest of the season. Things things can change. Things can swing. Um, it's just a case of Leeds praying that yeah Ipswich or Leicester take a hit a few hurdles or hit a few bumps. Yeah, you're right. There's still a long way to go, but we could quite feasibly, Justin, we could see Leeds get ninety plus points and still not go up. That's never happened before in championship history, but that's just the standard this yeah. year. It's crazy, but that's what Leeds are competing with, isn't it? That That's mm. the standard that's been set by that top two. And, you know, Leeds have been, for me, probably one of the best third-place teams, could be one of the best third-place teams we've ever seen at this level and just not get anything to show for it. But that, that's it, isn't it? And I think, I mean, they've lost four games so far this season, which is probably on the, on the, on the spectrum of a little bit too many for Daniel Farker's liking but you are right they are they are a side capable of hitting at nine points again especially under under, Dan, under Daniel Farker you look at the team that they finished with against Sunderland Patrick Banford was on the pitch Wilfred uh, Nonto was on the pitch um, there was Somerville as well it's just it's just blessed with so much talent and quality Joel Pirro um, was there as well it's just a side that's blessed with a lot of quality and a lot of talent that's gonna that's gonna keep getting points it's gonna keep punishing teams Um 
but it's just whether or not it's going to be enough for the top two. And at the moment, as you as, as you point out, as we've said already, it, it's looking like it's not going to be the case. But swings, swings, or things are going to swing uh, between now and the end of the season. Swings and roundabouts, I think, is the uh, you know no, swings playground equipments that you were trying to think of. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we need to give Sunderland their flowers. Yeah. They were so well organised, which is incredibly impressive. I mean, remember, they don't have a manager. And Mike Dodds, the caretaker, deserves so much credit. Wins against an inform West Brom and Leeds. Mm-hmm. You know, it seems like he's not going to get the Sunderland job, but it wouldn't surprise me if we see him become a manager at some point because he's only 37, he's getting huge praise from Joe Bellingham. Um, so he seems like a really intelligent coach who may have a big future in the game. Could the Sunderland job be going to Will Still after all, though? Because The Guardian is reporting the Rams manager has held positive talks over becoming the new Black Cats boss. And Justin, you said before he'd be your man, mm. Andy Brassel, who's the European football expert on the football ramble and on the continent. He told us that he didn't think Will Still would go for the job. So how does it feel knowing more about European football than Andy Brassel? It's, it's a given. I'm an expert. Um, it's also worth pointing out that you you throw in your doubts as well. And that's really where I'm going to take the trophy here, because if, if I can get anything, if I can get one up on you on anything, then I've got to take it because... You are you, um, oh, as politely oh, as I, I can say. Like, how's your weekly predictions going? <laughs> exactly, I've got to take it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, listen, you can't underestimate the size of Sunderland as a football club. They are huge. We know this, and I've said it all before. Um, but you've also got to look at where they can go in terms of their journey. Brighton and Brentford are two similar cases. And again, it does become a bit of a, a broken record when you mention them in terms of developing clubs. But they have set the blueprint for how to be a successful sustainable football club and be competitive in the Premier League and I think Sunderland are on that same trajectory so why not get involved in one of the most exciting projects in Europe in my opinion and and Hanshi CV get a stab at Premier League football should you win promotion I think that's better than going to a Lyon for example or a I don't know a Freiburg in Germany a mid-table European club that's in the top division I think it's better than that well the reason why uh, Andy Brassel was you know dismissive of uh, still potentially going to Sunderland was because still apparently dismissed speculation linking him with the Leon job now obviously Leon are a bit of a mess right now so we should keep that into account but I think it's completely understandable why based off that people think well he's not going to go to a championship club then is he however the fact he's even considering Sunderland which he clearly is because he's held talks shows just how ambitious this club is and mm. he's been regularly linked with Premier League clubs and some big clubs on the continent so if Sunderland managed to pull this off it genuinely will be the biggest managerial appointment by a championship club since Bielsa to Leeds as far as I'm concerned because it will be something that sends shudders through the whole league because this is just a, a coach who's so highly rated on the continent and will be dropping down to the championship it's quite remarkable yeah, um, I might disagree a little bit with that sentiment. Just a little bit. Go on, name name a bigger one then. <clears throat> well, I think Maresca coming into the Championship is quite a significant thing, for starters. But Maresca hadn't managed, well, he managed in Italy and did terribly in his one job. I don't, I don't think that's it's comparable to this, Justin. Will Still, may I remind you, I just told you a minute ago, turned down the Leon job and... 
is now choosing to take over a championship club. And I know Sunderland are a big club, but in any circumstance, that is just incredible. Yeah, I think when you look at it on paper, it is. But you pointed out Leon are a mess and Sunderland are on the up. I think it's a, I think it's an easier decision to make now than it maybe was a year ago. But easy is a strong word, Justin. An easier decision, a simpler decision to make at this point in, uh, in That's time. still quite a strong word. Leon are a huge club. And Sunderland, yes, are a huge club, but Leon are a bigger club than Sunderland in okay. the grand scheme of things. And whether Leon go down or not, I don't know. But um, still, in with, with any context, taking a championship club, taking a job at a championship club, he's still not done it, we, we must say. Um, <laughs> but the fact that he's considering it, it says a lot about the project that's happening at Sunderland. And that's incredibly impressive so if it does happen I'll be incredibly excited a late winner from Sam Morsey saw Ipswich win 2-1 away at Watford the goal came from a mistake at the back by Watford's Wesley Hoyt just Saints messaged us to say that's Hoyt fucking Southampton over once again (laughs) yeah he didn't do very well at a St Mary's so I enjoyed that comment but another huge result for Ipswich and I thought they may come unstuck here because Watford are actually quite good at Vicarage Road, but the Ipswich are going up tractor always finds a way, Justin. And they've now won four league games on the bounce for the third time this se- this season. Surprisingly, they haven't won five in a row yet, which caught me off guard because it just seems like they win every single week. But could that change this weekend? Because, of course, ladies and gentlemen, Ipswich fans will be desperately hoping that's the case because it's the small matter of the East Anglian derby. Ipswich haven't beaten Norwich, their big rivals, since 2009. They last faced off in 2019, but quite a lot has changed since then, hasn't it? And let me tell you, Justin, Ipswich fans are absolutely gagging to get one over their big rivals. Do you reckon Ipswich fans would rather take three points here than finish in the top two come the end of the season? Yeah, I did consider whether this would be the case, but I don't think it would be. Although I think it's probably closer than a lot of people would expect. But I mean, Ipswich getting promoted is obviously the main goal here. Yeah, I think maybe if Ipswich hadn't just come from League One and spent several years in League One, um, I think they could maybe wait another year for promotion if it meant getting an extra, I guess, an extra three points over the rivals. But yeah, this this is a huge game and it's a, it's a mouth-watering one. And again, it's such an easy thing to say with these these derby games because they always seem to fall fat, flat. But Ipswich have got so much, or Ipswich supporters and the club have got so much pent up frustration at being, let's be honest, in Norwich's shadow for fourteen years. What a long time Norwich have been rustling around in the Premier League for a lot while the Ipswich haven't quite bluntly gone through the Mick McCarthy years. There's a lot of narrative here. So much narrative, more narrative than more Derby games, mainly because we've not had one for a few years as well. But yeah, this is a, this is a good one. It's a hard one to call as well, despite the the fortunes of both sides this season. I think it's harder to call than, than what might, uh, what might be on paper. Based off what? Based off, well, I mean, Norwich have won four of the last six and actually Barnes is back. Who better to have in a local derby or, or a, sorry, not a local derby, a, a, a derby than Ashley Barnes? I would pick every single Ipswich player over Ashley Barnes. <laughs> <laughs> in a derby though, in a derby, come on. Yes, every single Ipswich player. Um, I get what you're saying because, you know, it, 
Well, I, I don't get what you're saying, actually. But <laughs> it, look, Ipswich are the strong favourites for this for what's probably the first time in at least a decade. And everything points to an Ipswich win. Um, you know, the positions in the table, the form, Ipswich's near perfect home record. However, they do say form goes out the window mm. in a derby. This would be quite an extreme example of it happening if Norwich got something here. But that is the old cliche. But it is quite remarkable how much things have swung in terms of the positions of these two sides. I mean, a few years ago, Norwich were the promotion chasing side and Ipswich were seemingly on the slide. Now look at them. Mm. Um, also, people will turn their nose up at this derby because the clubs are so far away from each other. But people don't actually understand it's two neighbouring one club counties against each other. And there probably will still be armchair fans who call this a tin pot derby. I've been to a few East Anglian derbies. I can tell you it's the complete opposite of Tim Pot. The atmosphere is electric at these games and it'll be even more so here. I just want to point out that this this derby got Mick McCarthy telling his own fans to fuck off. So, One of the all-time great moments exactly. in this derby. Possibly even the best. What what derbies get your own manager abusing your own fans? It's, it's one of those derbies. And again, I, it's something that I've not appreciated mostly until this season and it is a lot of a lot of anger a lot of pent-up hatred it's going to be a good one yeah it's, it's going to be the game to watch this weekend ladies and gentlemen a uh, quick word on Norwich they'll be heading into the weekend off the back of a win they beat Sheffield Wednesday 3-1 again I don't want to sound cynical with regards to Norwich but this was another game where they won and they weren't the most convincing but David Wagner won't care. He's now got four wins in six after being under a fair bit of pressure. The start of the show was a player who Norwich fans have been clamouring to see more of. That was 22-year-old Spaniard Boya Sainz. They signed him from Turkey in the summer, but he's been missing through injury pretty much all season. Started for the first time against Sheffield Wednesday and got goal and an assist. And he looks like someone who could reinvigorate Norwich, Justin. Yeah, they need that. They need that technical quality in the final third because they have really, really missed it. Obviously, Johnny Rowe's been um, been injured recently. You know, Ashley Barnes has been injured as well. It looks like this squad's coming back together slowly. Although centre-halves, they quite like Kenny McLean. Um, started at centre-half again, was brilliant, by the way, but it just shows how bad recruitment has been. But Boyer signs looked sharp his goal was fantastic it was a foot like a traction engine sort of quote after that finish because it was beautiful and his his ball I think for I think it was like for, for Ashley Barnes uh, Ashley Barnes's goal or it might have been uh, Johnny Rose goal one of the two he played a lovely lovely ball in as well he looks he looks a real talent yeah well we heard good things from him over in Turkey so let's see what he's all about and it gives Norwich a bit of encouragement heading into the derby this weekend and they'll be absolutely desperate to hold on to their unbeaten streak over Ipswich. Leicester are still sat atop of the table after a 3-2 victory over Millwall. Three wins on the trot now for the Foxes, 11 points clear of third-placed Leeds. Justin, I wanted to ask you about Enzo Maresca because in the polls on Sunday's episode, we asked the listeners, who would you appoint if you were a Premier League side, Daniel Farker, Enzo Maresca or Kieran McKenna? Kieran McKenna won quite easily, which I think is understandable but Enzo Maresca only just got more votes than Daniel Farker so do you think the job Maresca is doing is actually a bit underrated by those outside of Leicestershire? I don't think so I think he's delivering what you expect uh, I've got to be careful what I say here because you you're probably going whoa, to clip whoa 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 Justin Justin come on now that's uh that's a bit strong what, delivering what, you... what they expect I know yeah. 
Leicester are top of the table, no? Yes, top of the table, but they're doing it with the best start we've ever seen in Championship history after 21 games. And I know what you're going to say. The squad is ridiculously talented. Probably one of the best we've ever seen at this level. But, as you're always very keen to point out, Fulham's Scott Parker um, struggled with that a few years ago, didn't he? Mm -hmm. Um, Newcastle, in the two times that they came down to the Championship, they obviously won the league pretty easily in the end. But even they... Um, didn't do as well as Leicester are doing at this stage. So for them, for you to say that he's doing as well as people would have expected, I think is you underrating the job that Enzo Maresco is doing. You may have swung me here. I had I had a whole thing planned. I Go had on. a whole thing planned. I was going to say get, that... Get your rationale out. Go on. I, I was, I was, I was going to say, when you get down into the nitty gritty of it, results aside, focus solely on performances, you could argue he's underachieved because in a lot of games, especially early on in the season, player quality got the three. Player quality, shush, shush. That's a strong point. word, isn't it? Let me make my point. I don't agree with this. I'm just looking at a general consensus of You're people. You're the one who said it. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm merely speaking for the people. <laughs> yeah, as I say, I think player quality got them through as opposed to routinely breaking down opposition. That's changed now. And like I said, I think Resk is probably delivering what people very much expect, but you have changed my mind. And I do actually think maybe the the the, the common man is is underrating the job he's doing because actually um he's had to he's had to contend with quite a lot. There's a lot of uncertainty in the summer, there's a lot of movement in players. Um, style of play is, is, is shifted they were conceding a lot of goals and now not doing that I think yes you are right they are underrated but you've got your clip yeah. now for social media now, so that's fine yeah and that's all <laughs> I get um, yeah and look for me and I don't want this to sound like I'm having a dig at Daniel Farker by any means because I think Daniel Farker's doing a brilliant job this season but the lead squad isn't as far off from this Leicester squad, in my opinion, as people might think. Um, So for Leicester to be flying as much as they have been, just absolutely dominating the league this season is just insanely good. And it's all well and good having all these incredibly talented players here. To have someone to knit it together is a lot easier said than done. So Enzo Maresca deserves so much praise and probably deserves a lot more praise than he is getting. I mean, I'd like to think we're doing our bit to give him enough praise, but maybe we're not because for Leicester to be at this stage where they have had a record-breaking first 21 games in the season is just ridiculously good. Pat Sendaka got another goal, so that's two and two for him after previously only playing a minute in the league this season. That's just insane, isn't it? Uh, Quick word on Millwall, just one point above the drop zone. One point from five games. Not ideal, is it? Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about Stoke playing their first game since sacking Alex Neil and Liam Richardson's first game at Rotherham. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. Stoke drew in their first match since sacking Alex Neal. It finished one all between them and Swansea. Stoke very nicely announced the sacking of Alex Neal just as Sunday's episode was being uploaded. So thanks for that, Stoke. Not incredibly annoying at all. Stoke without a win in seven after this draw. So who is the man to get them back on track is the question that Stoke fans are furiously asking. Well, Sky Sports is reporting John Eustace and Tony Mowbray are the leading candidates for the job, but there's also said to be a lot of names in the frame. The Telegraph says initial talks have been held with Mick Beale and Paul Heckingbottom. Some more, let's say, optimistic names have been mentioned, such as Graham Potter um, and Nuno Espirito Santo. Stoke fans have been losing their minds over the possibility of Nuno going to Stoke. So who do you think they should get, Justin, who's realistic? And I want to put emphasis on the word realistic. Yeah, I've seen Graham Potter linked as well, but he's holding out for the England job. Nuno Espirito Santo, even if he was realistic, I don't think I'd move for him. Um, Paul Heckingbottom, I have a theory, by the way, that he cannot succeed outside of Yorkshire. Um, so there's, there's, I mean, Stokes in Staffordshire, so it's, that's going to be a problem. Cheers, Mr. Geography. <laughs> there we go. Um, I actually really like um, John Eustace and Tony Mowbray as candidates. I mean, looking at this game in isolation, this was one of the games I, I watched uh, over the midweek. We started leading one now. I was convinced Swansea were going to equalise. So for me, if you've got someone like John Eustace or Tony Mowbray coming in who have an abundance of experience and really good personalities, they're going to get the best out of what they've got. And they've shown that in previous jobs. They've shown that they can solidify teams and get results going. And that's what Stoke need. They've got a good enough squad to compete further up the table. And people might point the finger and suggest both of those managers play a similar style to Alex Neal. It's true to some extent, but they're much better personalities. Alex Neal pissed people off. He was a miserable, miserable man. And he just could not get them on side, uh, supporters on side. Um, and like I said, I think Tony Mowbray and John Eustace have both left 
uh, respective sides in a better position when, than when they found him. So I think either of those candidates are probably a better fit for Stoke right now than the likes of Paul Heckingbottom, Mick Beal, Nuno Espirito Santo, Pep Guardiola, etc. Mm, yeah, Guardiola, I'm yeah. sure we'll be gutted about that. Um, it's interesting, interesting what you say about uh, Neil being quite a miserable Darren da- man. I, because... I cannot remember him smiling. I well, genuinely... Th- well, you think about it. You look at the past Stoke managers. I mean, Nathan Jones, obviously, does a does quite a good job of rubbing people up the, the wrong way. And then Gary Rower is quite a cynical character. Mm. Uh, O'Neill as well wasn't the most positive of blokes. But so maybe there's something we're onto here. Um, mm. For me, I find it difficult to name someone I think would be a good appointment for Stoke because so many good managers have been through there and struggled. John Eustace seems like the obvious shout to me, but I feel like it's just more of the same. Ditto Mick Beale and Paul Heckingbottom. And I'd like to see Eustace back in the championship, but I don't think Stoke is the right club. I just cannot see that ending well. Mowbray, I wouldn't mind that. That I'd be more on board with that one. For me, I'd like to see them try something different, though. An interesting name who I have heard mentioned is Slavisi Okanovic who I think would be a very interesting appointment. Yes, it didn't go very well for him at Sheffield United, but otherwise his record in the championship is amongst the very best. So I'd like to see that. Another miserable man. He is a miserable man, but he's got a bloody incredible record at this level, Justin. He does, and his his Sheffield United spell should um, should be taken with a pinch of salt, although he did really do his best to cock cock it up um but on the on the basis of personalities I, I i really do think it's a personality thing now now we've dipped into it a little bit more i think someone like a john eustace or tony Mowbray or even a, a gareth ainsworth the world's happiest man might swing their fortunes God. they don't need tactical now they just need someone positive and you ainsworth's t- ancient because you keep linking him to jobs for some reason when he's clearly out of his depth in the championship it's because he's not the best musician so i'm trying to get him a job um <laughs> <laughs> sorry that's really unnecessary dig um, no i like it <laughs> But uh, as I say, I think it's a personality thing. And I do like John Eustace a lot. And I think you've maybe not given me enough credit um, in terms of the, the Neil comparison because style of play wise, there is similarities, but I think it goes way beyond style of play because we've seen that it can be a success. Gary Rowett was sacked with Stoke three points off the playoffs um, or whatever it was. So, you know, the style of play isn't the issue. It's it's the manager. It's the it's the man. It's the personality. And I think getting someone in who who can get fans on board and get positivity running around the club and be a good manager as well. I think is the way they need to go. I just think it's too big a job for him. If I'm being brutal, that's fair. By that's the fair. way, just quickly back on the Stoke Swansea game. There was a moment where Stoke's Ben Pearson tried to stop a throw in by grabbing the ball and diving over the advertising hoardings. It, it is absolutely hilarious. <laughs> I've posted it on my uh, Twitter page or X page. Sounds a bit rude, really, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> but I implore you, listener, to watch it. Um, Quickly on Swansea, I'm not too sure what's happening with their search for a new manager, by the way. There were reports they had approached Chris Davies and Postacoglu's assistant, but Spurs apparently rejected the approach. Sky Sports now say they're preparing another approach. 
So it appears Swansea are just leaving voicemail after voicemail saying, please. Um, and that's as far as their search is going. Uh, they've still got Alan Sheehan in charge for the time being, though. And he is a very handsome man. Liam Richardson lost his first game in charge of Rotherham. They were beaten 2-0 at home to West Brom. There were a total of 10 shots in this game. Not a classic. West Brom just scored and then basically killed the game off. Brilliant free kick by Jed Wallace though, for the uh, second goal. Rotherham stay bottom of the table, Eight points from safety, just two wins all season. And Liam Richardson has definitely got his hands full in keeping them up, hasn't he? He may need yeah. a few more hands, actually, Justin. <laughs> a few more hands. He's got feet as well. Um, I, I think he can improve Liam, uh, uh, Rotherham, uh, but it, it is a big job and it is a big task. And I've got on record saying I do like the appointment, but that doesn't mean he'll, he'll keep them up. Given time, I think he'll make them more competitive between now and the end of the season. I think that's all they can do. Um getting results between now and January again is really really important because January could change the fortunes like it did last season they were on a you know, one way trip to League One last season they were terrible before they really really did improve their squad with a raft of some really positive signings Jordan Hugel started in this game although fortune wise Rotherham weren't the best going forwards I think it is a um an indication of where Richardson wants to go and where how he wants to play because Hugo's obviously been in and out of the, the starting eleven under under Matt Taylor and, and Wayne Carlisle. Um, but overall, I think the squad isn't good enough to be competitive and I think that's where Richardson's got to get more out of them. It's a big job. Uh, as, we, as we're saying, it's a huge, huge job, a huge task. Well, this is why I don't get why you think it's a good appointment, Justin, because if it was a good appointment, surely you'd think they'd have, had a, they'd have a good chance of staying up, wouldn't you? <laughs> Like I said, I think he can make them more competitive, but I think the teams that are around them have, have made better choices and quicker as well. I think that the timing of their appointments is really good. Sifa Wenters was in at QPR within... So you think other clubs have made better appointments, but you still think this is a good appointment? So that, that's what I'm confused about. Yes. <laughs> It doesn't make, because of the clubs have made good appointments, it doesn't make this a bad appointment. Rotherham are just batting in a different league when it comes to managers. They tried to get a Nathan Jones, they tried to get who was the other manager they tried to appoint? I can't remember. Fucking loads of players, <laughs> loads of people. <laughs> they, they tried to be ambitious, and in the end, they had to settle with Liam Richardson. Of the, of the managers available and probably likely to take this job, I think Richardson's a good choice because he's, he's good at the intangibles, he's good at getting more out of players, he's good at developing that, that fighting ambition within a squad it's not going to be enough to keep them up because they don't have enough quality. But at the end of the day, I think it's going to be enough to make them more competitive. And if they can be more competitive between now and the end of the season, it gives them a chance. I just don't think it will transpire that they'll stay in the championship. I really struggle to see there being three worse teams than Rotherham. And that's my big thing. No team has stayed up without winning at least 10 games. And wins look a long way off for Rotherham. They don't score and they can see too many, which isn't a good start. So I'm not convinced Liam Richardson is a good enough manager to change that, unfortunately. Uh, the Telegraph is reporting West Brom are edging closer to a takeover. Owner Gretchen Lai is said to be set to grant exclusivity to a preferred bidder very soon. It would be very timely if that happened for January, wouldn't it? Although that would be an extremely quick turnaround, quick. wouldn't it? Yeah, I, th I think the, the good example is Derby's. I know I keep going on about it pretty much every other week, but Derby's was done in 16 days. Um, but that, that you know, Derby were on the wire, weren't they? Uh, other, I mean, you look at Huddersfield's last season, that was a, a, a long time that took from sort of sort of hearing reports around March, April time to um, to, to June or, or May, June, and then Leeds as well, really long. So it really does, it really does depend on who who's really keen here um, and whether the buyers are really serious. Because although 
exclusivity means um, there's a buyer that's been chosen. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're a viable buyer. It might not have the money, for example. So yeah, it's 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 progress, um, but it's a pinch of salt sort of progress. But if it can be done between uh, between now and uh, January, two weeks, fantastic. Don't think that will happen. Um, but it does. It would give Core Brand some much needed. Um, I don't know, a weight lifting off his shoulders. I think would be the best yeah. best phrase. Well, the contrast in twelve months would be could be staggering, couldn't yeah. it? If they do get the takeover done soon, because this time last year West Brom were in the bottom half of the table, and the fans were furious because of the various financial loans putting the club's future in danger. Now they're challenging for the top and are hopefully close to getting a new owner. So it'd be some turnaround in the space of a year. So I just hope this takeover doesn't drag on as some of them do more often than not, unfortunately. Uh, Wayne Rooney won just his second game in charge of Birmingham with a 1-0 victory away at Cardiff. And I can't believe I'm saying this, Justin. Birmingham actually played quite well. Do we know why they played well? Cardiff had more possession... They had more passes. They completed more passes than uh, than Birmingham City. It felt like there was a lot of the John Eustace about this team uh, in, in this game, and I think that's the, really what the formula um, the formula that worked for for Rooney here. It's a massive win and a uh, and a massive clean sheet as well. But they were much better here because they just looked more comfortable in how they were playing. They're sure, the principles of what Rooney wants from his team was still here, but I saw a lot of I saw a lot more Eustace ball in this game than I did uh, Rooney ball. Okay. Um, I mean, it was so much better. The fact is that not only were Birmingham not getting results, they were just playing terribly, Mm. weren't they? That wasn't the case here. They were much the better side and probably should have won it by more. And I mean, what we saw, I wouldn't exactly call it no fear football, but they looked much better. And if they play like this more often, they'll be absolutely fine. Whether that's going to be the case in the long term, I don't know. But in the short term, it will certainly not be as bad as it has been recently. Preston got just their third win in 14 games by winning 3-1 away at Huddersfield. A much-needed result for Ryan Lowe, who was under growing amounts of pressure. But this result keeps them just outside the playoffs, so he'll be very happy. It is just two wins from 15 for Huddersfield, Justin. So not going very well, admittedly. However, I'm getting quite annoyed with Huddersfield fans constantly calling for Darren Moore to be sacked. All I see on Huddersfield Twitter after every loss is fans calling for his head. What do they expect, though? The squad's crap, isn't it? And it's a miracle, really, that they've been outside the bottom three for most of the season. Yeah, if Neil Warnock is still in charge, for example, I don't think they'd be faring too much better because the squad, as you said, is, is worse than it was last season, which is... Saying something because they've invested in the likes of Ben Wiles, um, Nakiyama's back in as well. They just don't look uh, as confident or as organised, and that's not a slight on Darren Moore. I just think there's a there's a heavy um, a heavy load on the current set of players and a bit of a hangover from Neil Warnock. I think the frustration from from supporters, maybe fairly or unfairly, should be aimed at the new owners because everything on paper made sense. Um, with with, uh, with with bringing Darren Moore in, um, Neil Warnock needed to handle that transition period for longer. I don't think they needed to fall out. He needed to be in charge until January, get players in, uh, and then hand over to a new manager, whether that be Darren Moore or somebody else. That was the cock up, not Darren Moore in this squad. There's, oh, sorry, not Darren Moore. The squad's poor. It needs adding to, and Neil Warnock probably needed to be in charge for a little bit longer. Well, if Huddersfield fans want to blame anyone, it should be the owners because they're the ones who didn't do enough business in the summer. And that's what's ultimately costing him now. And that's why Neil Warnock jumped while he had the chance because he probably thought this squad 
wasn't good enough. Yeah. So what's the point in sticking around? I, I just don't get who Huddersfield fans think can realistically come in and do a much better job than what Darren Moore is doing with the tools he's got. Even Warlock struggled with this team. As you say, I don't think it would be much better either. And that's what Huddersfield fans are now relying on, the January transfer window to ultimately save their season. And if the owners don't pull their finger out there, then Huddersfield have got very little chance of actually staying up this season. Hall came from a goal down, uh, a goal behind rather, to win 2-1 away at Middlesbrough. What a cracking result for the Tigers. Managed to do it without Jaden Philogene as well, who's been one of the best players in the division this season. He was injured for this game, but to get this result without him is remarkable. And their results have been a bit hit and miss recently, but the level on points with sixth place Sunderland, and it feels like Hull are genuine playoff contenders, Justin. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I do agree. I think we've said this a few times this season. They've they've not really dipped below 10th. They've been hovering in and around it, and that's all you can do. They've got a pretty good squad. I think they... Uh, well, I hope they've got room to add to it in, in January because there's still a few short. And um, I think this game proves that although Borough do have an injury crisis, they can they can withstand pressure. They can they can not win ugly, but they can um, you know, be up against it at times and, and come out the other side. They're they're a good side under Rossini. They're they're moving in the right direction. Um, there's not much I can dislike about Hull at the moment. They are they they they're very progressive and they're going yeah in the right direction. I'm going to say it again. Yeah, um, and I agree. I, I really like what Liam Rosini is doing. They've got some really talented players who are all coming to the fore at once. Two great examples of that are Liam Delap and Scott Twine, two lads who are very yeah. talented but had some really tough seasons, had really tough seasons last season, now seem to be really enjoying their football. I think it is a bit of a concern um, with Jaden Philogene. I'm not sure how long or what extent his injury is. I have seen reports saying he's going to be out until 2024, which doesn't seem that bad considering we're midway through December. However, there are a lot of games to be played between now and 2024. So that's a bit of a blow, but they showed against Middlesbrough that they don't they're not necessarily relying on him. So if they manage to keep getting the best out of the other players that they've got available, then, you know, it's great. And as far as their playoff chances go, I think they've got a great chance. If I had to categorise it, I'd have the current top four as guarantees for the top six. I think that's pretty much, you know, said and done as far as we're concerned. Then I'd have Sunderland and West Brom in the next category below. Not just because they're in the top six right now, but because I think they're just also the next strongest. Then I would have Hull, Middlesbrough and Coventry in the next category. And then loads of other teams in the other category. And I think that's a really good place for Hull to be in, Justin. Do you think that's fair? No, I, I do. I do. Because, uh, again, you've got to look at their manoeuvrability um, and well, manoeuvrability in, the, in in January. Um, I think they're in a better place to add to their squad than the likes of Preston, Cardiff, Norwich. Um, uh, and, again, they, they, they've got gears to go. I do think we've not seen the best of Hull City yet. Um, they've got a lot of attacking quality that has been inconsistent in form, apart from Jaden Fulagin. Liam Delaps had his spells, he's picking up. There are other players as well. Um they're in a good place to, to kick on. And as I say, they're not as keeping as many clean sheets as they have they did the last season as well. So there's a room to room to improve in that in that aspect as well. So they've got gears to go and I, I do like where they're going. Yeah. I, I say Hull are in the same category of Middlesbrough, but 
Middlesbrough may be sliding out of that category with the way things are going. Four losses from five now for them. Obviously, injuries have massively hindered them, but I don't think you can completely point the finger at that, though. It's not a great run, which ever context there is with it. Another team who will fancy their top six chances is Blackburn. They beat Bristol City 2-1. It's been four months since Blackburn last drew a game, which is a fun <laughs> stat, isn't it? One ten, lost 10. Uh, they're having a good season, though aren't they, just outside the playoffs? How do you rate their top six chances? I rate them quite high. Um, I, I really do. They, I've made the comparison to last season. I think they're much better this season. They look a lot more complete without the talisman that was Ben Brereton Diaz. There's a clear plan. You know, when you ought to see a repeat of Sammy Schmodick's goal, they've been a near copy and paste of each other in the space that he breaks into. That's not a fluke. It's well drilled. Um, they're consistent. We know that. I mean, 10 wins and 10 losses is, is consistent. 34 goals, 34 goals conceded is, is very consistent. Sure, they need to improve areas, but they've, again, they're another side like Hull where I think they've got gears to go. They've got, hopefully, got room to add in January. Arna Sigerson, um is coming back into side. His touch for his goal in this game was absolutely sensational. It just it just shows the quality that they've got to still come into the team. So, yeah, really, really exciting for Blackbird. Really, really exciting. Yeah, well, obviously, Samish Modox is top scorer in the league and is having a remarkable season. I'd be surprised, though, if he got another 14 goals in the second half of the season. So I wonder if they'll be able to keep scoring as well as they have been as time goes on. They have got some very exciting players, though. They're good fun to watch. They like to press, attack quickly and defend high up the pitch. Leads them giving quite a few chances. Um, but it's... It's entertaining, isn't it? No matter if they are a bit leaky at the back. It's going to be difficult for them to get a top six place because you've got several teams fighting over what is essentially two spots, but it's not completely out of the question by any means. Coventry won, Southampton won. Hadji Wright getting on the score sheet for Coventry. Took his goal really well. I'm not sure there's a play we've mentioned more this season than Hadji Wright. It's just <laughs> fascinating when he's in front of goal, isn't it? You You can never have any degree of certainty about what's going to happen next. You know, Nine times out of ten, he flashes it wider over the bar. Here, he has unbelievable composure to mm. dribble past a man and then put it into the back end there. He's he's an interesting player, isn't he? Uh, Southampton, unbeaten in 13 games now. The longest current unbeaten run in the whole of the Football League. And this result goes a long way to strengthening their grip on fourth place. QPR v Plymouth is the final game of the weekend, or midweek rather. That ended goalless. Plymouth were down to 10 men for over an hour here. So when you consider that, plus their record away from home and QPR's recent form, this is a cracking point for them really, isn't it? Let's have a look ahead to the weekend then. And in each preview episode of the second tier, just now we'll each pick a banker, a team we think is guaranteed to win this coming weekend, as well as an outsider. So someone we think he's going to win, but is big rods with the bookies than their opponents. We're tracking how we do as the season goes on. It's one point for a correct banker, two points for an outsider. Whoever loses has to do a forfeit. That will be a CrossFit vomit induced workout for myself while Justin has to do a long coach trip from Sunderland to Plymouth and back. The current scores are 25-18 to myself after I got a full house last week. Justin's banker of Coventry to beat Birmingham did come in but his outsider of Millwall to win at Cardiff didn't. And that's a seven point gap Justin. That is huge. Well done. You can do maths. Move on. Someone's, someone's not looking forward to that coach trip uh, Justin what is your banker this weekend I've gone with Sunderland to win away at Bristol City Sunderland's away form is largely better than the home uh, obviously struggled uh, they have struggled 
in the last five under Tony Mowbray. So this is a little bit ballsy, but I like what Mike Dodds has done. He's shored them up and I think they look a lot more stubborn and confidence is growing again in attack. Picking an away team as your banker. Got to take risks, seven point gap. No wonder you're getting battered. My banker <laughs> for the weekend is Plymouth to win at home to Rotherham. I've decided to stray away from the top teams this week because I can afford to. I'm showboating <laughs> oh, at this point. This, just this guy. <laughs> uh, Plymouth have got a great record at home. Six wins from 10. Rotherham are awful away. Just two points on the road all season. They've gone a whole year without an away win. So that's why I'm going for a Plymouth win. Swansea to win at home to Middlesbrough is my outsider this weekend. I'm not huge on Swansea right now, but I struggled to get behind Middlesbrough as favourites for a game when, first of all, they're away from home. Secondly, they've had so many injuries and it's really hampered their form. So I'll go for a Swansea win as my outsider. Justin, what's yours? I've gone with Blackburn to win away at Southampton. Call me crazy. Odds massively stacked against Blackburn here in the Alan Shearer, Kevin Davis derby, whichever target man you prefer. Um, but Rovers are a fast counter-attacking team and I think Southampton maybe have become a little bit complacent in the final third of late. So it might swing the game in Rovers' favour because they are a really, really quick side on the transition and I think that might cause Southampton a few problems. I completely forgot Kevin Davis played for Blackburn. I, I thought you were getting the mixed up with Bolton. I was going to no, say no, that no. was sacrilege, Justin, but fair enough. And now it's time for this. Scott High or Ryan Lowe? Yes, it's time for Scott High or Ryan Lowe. This is the game where we have to rank four things from highest to lowest. It's as simple as that. There's three questions. This week, Justin is providing the questions to me. So what have you got for me, Justin Peach, you bastard? I've got three questions for you, Ryan. First of which first of which is, which of these sides has completed the most accurate long balls slash passes, whichever, however you want to coin it? Leeds, Millwall, Leicester City or Hull? Uh, okay, that's tricky because obviously a team like Leeds isn't very long ball. However, they have a lot more possession than all the other teams you've mentioned there. So that is something to ponder. Uh, I don't think Leicester will be that high. Um, I'm tempted to put Leeds quite high. Uh, in fact, I'll go... Millwall, Leeds, Hull, Leicester. It's incredibly wrong. Um, yeah, is it? Well, Hull are in the right place, but you've 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 fallen for the red herring. Leicester are top. Yeah, I should have put more emphasis on the possession thing, Shunta. Oh, you should. That's, that's a rookie mistake for me. Leicester are top. Then it's Millwall. Then it's Hull. Then it's Leeds. Leeds are bottom. Leeds are bottom. Well, Cannot play a long never. ball. Cannot play a long ball. Maybe they just don't want to, Justin. Have you ever thought about that? What's the next question? It's all about discipline, this one. So I want you to rank the players on who, or not rank, but put in order, on who has accumulated the most yellow cards so far this season. It's been quite a lot. Your players are Sam Morsey, Luke Nine, Lewis Travis, and Ben Pearson. A lot of shithouses there. A lot of shithouses. Um, I, I specifically went for shithouses. Yeah. Uh, right, I'll go straight off the Straight out of the blocks and put Sam Morsey top. Um, then Pearson, 09. Who's the other one? Lewis Travis. Lewis Travis. Loves a reckless tackle. He does, but I don't think he's played as much as 
some of the others. Um, mind you, Luko Nine's been playing as a defender, so would he have got as many yellow cards? I'm thinking more midfielders when I think of yellow cards. Sam Moles is definitely top. Okay, I'll um, put in Pearson second because he is a card magnet. Then I'll go O nine. Then Travis. You've just got Morsey and Pearson mixed up. Oh, you're, you're, you're so close. Yeah, Ben Pearson's top. He's got 10 yellow cards. How? He <laughs> just loves cards. it, doesn't he? 21 games played, 10 yellow cards. It's just... God, it's like Christmas with him, isn't it? Just cards everywhere. God. Birthdays, Christmas, Easter, he loves them. Uh, Sam Morsey is, is next, obviously. I can't remember. I didn't write down how many he got, but it's it's Jesus sec- Christ. The second organization most. from you is pathetic. What's the final one, Justin? It's the run up to Christmas. So, which of these are the most popular Christmas films? It's a BBC poll because you always ask me, "Where'd you get your data?" It's a BBC poll, Ryan. It's official, taxpayer paid. Sorry, TV license paid. There we go. Your Christmas films are Home Alone, Polar Express, A Muppet Christmas Carol, and Die Hard. BBC poll, fine. Um, Home Alone top. I think that's just a great film, which is loved by the nation. Um, I haven't actually seen Polo Express. It's on my to-watch list this Christmas. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I I, I haven't seen it yet. Um, Die Hard, I'm not sure. Muppet Christmas Carol. Well, Home Alone is definitely top. I, I can say that for sure. And then I'll go with Polar Express, then Die Hard, then Muppet Christmas Carol. That is, you've butchered it. You've butchered it, Ryan. <laughs> Don't tell me Home Loan's top, otherwise I'm leaving this country. Die Hard's top. That is utter nonsense. <laughs> Die Hard's top. I, I think it's a Christmas film. I'm not going to get into that whole debate. But the fact that's above Home Alone is outrageous. Maybe people are just uh, home alone, um, fatigued. Never. Maybe. You can never Maybe. be. Uh, Muppet Christmas Carol is second. Obviously, Michael Caine... What? Above home alone? Well, Michael Caine put in an Oscar-worthy performance. He played Scrooge as serious as a car crash in that film. Um, home Alone is third. And then Potter Express is quite rightly last. I don't get that film. Never will. Hate it. Not seeing it. So can't comment on that. But Home Alone... Not being top is outrageous. This is the scandal of the century. And I'm now going to end this podcast and go vomit profusely. Um, This has been the Second Tier Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be back again on Sunday for another round of weekend games. I'm looking forward to seeing you then. If you wouldn't mind giving us a five-star review on whichever podcast platform you listen to us on, it helps us go a long way to growing as a podcast and we will greatly appreciate it. So please take five seconds of your time to do that. I'm off to the bog. This has been the second <laughs> the podcast. I've been Ryan Oaks. I'm just a peach. <laughs> and a big thank you for listening. Second Tier is a Stack production and part of the ACAST Creator Network. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. 
Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. <laughs> 